So we have a lot to cover. But before we get started, I've got kind of a little, I don't even know what this is called, a disclaimer, I don't know, uh, whatever it is, uh, whatever fits. But I want you guys to know, now we have been dealing with this issue of sin and hidden sin. Today's our 10th message, okay? And I know there are people, there's a really good chance, there's some of you sitting here today that are going, you know what? <laughs> I have heard about hidden sin. Got it. Got it. You've driven it to the, to the nth degree. We understand what's going on. And there are a tendency for a lot of us sometimes when we think we know something to kind of check out and go, look, you know what? I've already got this covered. But can I remind you? Can I remind you that James 4.17 says this, For a man to knoweth to doeth good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. None of us are perfect. None of us are beyond this. And you know the very obstacle that's keeping them out of, of the promised land is hidden sin. The very thing that keeps us out of our promised land, guess what it is? Hidden sin. So today I am begging you, if you don't think this is for you, you are probably the one that this is for. <laughs> Let it grip your hearts. Don't check out on me. Stick with me because I'm telling you there's a lot to cover in this message. Okay, so uh, last week we were in a message that was called Sin Confessed. That was Joshua 7 verses 20 through 21. And in that message what we saw was Achan, this rebellious nature that was within him. Even though he was confronted by Joshua about his sin, what we see here is he had been given, just like all the rest of the Israelites, an opportunity to get right. God had said, hey man, you got a day. You got a day. As this day finishes up, get right with me, with me. So he heard, with all the other Israelites, the opportunity to repent of his sin. But we know that he did not. And it's so now, with an unrepentant heart, and with the literally the total penalty and weight of his sin resting upon his shoulders, Achan last week made an admission of guilt. He finally said, hey, you caught me. But I want you to realize that in Achan's story, there's a picture for all of us to see. Okay? Now, if we think about, we go back to Joshua. And Joshua, when Joshua was made aware by God that there was hidden sin that he'd allowed to work its way into the camp, Joshua went from being prideful and arrogant to being, oh my goodness, humbled. He fell before the Lord. It changed his heart. He had ears to hear. So what happens, we saw repentance and humility in him because he was brokenhearted because of what God had made him aware of. But then with Achan, what do we see? So Joshua's story is, is going to be a story of victory and of life. Achan's story. Achan, what did Achan do? He heard the same thing. God said, hey, guess what? There's sin in the camp. He heard about this. He knew it was him. He wasn't repentant. He wasn't remorseful. He didn't have a bad Ill, or an ill thought about it. He did not have ears to hear God. So what we saw is his rebellion continued. And in his pride, he literally doubled down in his rebellion. And listen, he only got honest when he was forced to. So where Joshua's story is going to be a story of victory in life, we're going to see that Achan's story is going to be a picture of death and defeat. So here is the example. There's two options. And did you know with humanity, when it comes to our eternity, there are only two options. There's life and there's death. There's one where we're going to see, hey, you know what? A repentance and, and, a, and a willingness to hear God and to, and to be brokenhearted. Well, Joshua's story, like I said, it's a picture of eternal life. And Achan's story is a picture of eternal death. So rebellion, here's Achan in his rebellion. He finally makes his admission, it is an admission of guilt. And what he finally does, he says, hey, look, I'm going to own up to my theft. And what we saw last week was the fact that we did a comparison between godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world. And we know, and we talked about this on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, guys, you've got to be a part of it. It's, we had the biggest Wednesday night this past Wednesday we've ever had, but I wanted to continue to grow because it's awesome. But we talked about godly sorrow. 
Godly sorrow is when we understand we're, we're, we're hurt about what we do and because of our sin, because of how it impacts God. See, that's the key. It changes who we are. It makes an eternal difference in our lives because we realize our accountability to God and we realize what we're doing is impacting Him. But then we have the sorrow of the world. The sorrow of the world is selfish. The sorrow of the world doesn't change our eternity. The sorrow of the world simply changes our circumstance. We call it guilt. It changes the way we, have, we treat other people because guess what? We're worried about how it impacts us. When I feel guilty, I feel guilty because of the way it, it, way it affects me or the way that I look to the world. And what we're realizing, the fact that, listen, with Achan, it is not the sorrow, of, it's not godly sorrow that he has. He has the sorrow of the world. He only gets right because he's caught. And what we find is the fact that, listen, it comes down to this. Again, Achan is a picture of death. Joshua is a picture of life. And what determines which one we get is what we do with Christ. Bottom line, it's simple and straightforward. But then what happens with Achan? He gets past that, right? He gets to the point where he says he makes his admission of guilt. Then he goes, okay, now I'm going to explain what I did. I'm going to give you my why. Here are, Here is my why. He said, well, first of all, it was the lust of the eyes. Man, I saw this awesome stuff and I just wanted it, you know, and it got me excited. And what we talked about is the dramatic impact, what we see, how what we see can impact who we serve, right? Who will I serve? Will I serve me or will I serve the Lord? If we're in fellowship with God, what we'll find is what we see will actually draw us to service. Draws us to want to touch other people's lives. Uh, it's amazing how so many people have that heart within them, but sometimes they deny it. We were talking about Gloria uh, prior to the service, and she's been a caregiver much, much part of our life. And certain people are just given kind of that gift. They just, they're just loving. They're just caring. They know how to bear the burdens of other people. Other people are kind of selfish. So we see this aspect of walking with God. What happens? It naturally draws us to service, even if that's not our nature. But if we're walking in the flesh and we're trusting in our flesh, what will it do? What we see will draw us to sin. So the two options, drawn to service or drawn to sin. Walking in submission to God draws us to, to, to doing righteous things. Achan then talked about the lust of the flesh. So he talked about his eyes, then he talked about the lust of the flesh. He talked about what he saw got him excited. He started imagining all these things. He started getting worked up. He said, in fact, in verse number 21, then I coveted, I took, I coveted them and took them. In direct defiance of God, because God told him, "This is not you're not to do this," but He said, "I'm doing it anyway." And we took the we realized the biblical correlation between covetousness and idolatry. The Bible literally says that they are one and the same. And we talked about what's happening here. You and I, when we look at our life and our world, it's sad to say that unfortunately idolatry is rampant in our world today, in so many different forms and fashions. You know, all on the idol is is something that we set. Above God, we prioritize above the Lord. And there are things in our life right now, if we were honest with ourselves and we went through our life and we truly looked at where God falls in priority with some of the things in our life, we would say, you know what? I got some idols. We need to address them. But what happens? Because of Achan's ridiculous pride, which is the next thing he talked about was the pride of life. Because of his ridiculous pride, he thought he could hide it from God. He's like, you know what? If I, I, I can get away with this. Just like countless people throughout history have thought, I can hide my sin. But what we'll find is the fact that all-seeing eye of God, there's nothing that hides from God. There's no sin, no sin, no sin that we can hide from the Lord. So what we saw is he was forced to confess his sin. Today what we're going to do is look at that sin being exposed. This is what's going to happen. He had hidden it, and guess what? It is going to be exposed. This morning, Achan is going to literally have to be seen exactly what he hid, brought out into the open. 
Because you know what? The, the, the case against Aiken is solidifying. All of the evidence is being laid out to prove his guilt. And our message this morning is going to be titled Sin Exposed. Now, Aiken, just to give you an idea, last week he really covered his why. Okay? So today we're not going to cover the why. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the who, the how, the where, and the what. Okay? So we're going to talk about who will expose it, how they'll expose it, where they'll find it, and what they'll do with it. All right? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, God, for the gift of this time that you've given us that we can spend in your word. Lord, you know, I have diligently prayed and I have studied and I have asked you, God, to speak to my heart. And Lord, I am confident that you have. And uh, Lord, I pray, 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 please, please, please help me to get out of the way. I do not want to interfere with what you want to tell us and what we need to hear. And I pray, God, that you'll help me to disappear. Lord, use uh, my flesh, my stumbling tongue to speak truth uh, that is not from my mind, but Lord, is directly from the Spirit. Give us what we need and help us to be responsive and receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. It says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. So we see this in regard to his hidden sin. What did, God, what did Joshua do? Joshua, we see who he sends. He sends messengers. It says Joshua, so Josh, excuse me, so Joshua sent messengers. Okay, messengers. Now, it's strange that God would choose to send messengers. It's kind of an odd job to send these men on. Why does he send messengers? Now, if we define a messenger, what does a messenger do? They just deliver messages. That's their job, right? A messenger pigeon, what do you do? You tie a note to his leg and you shoot him out the window and he lands somewhere else and guess what? They read the note. We go online today and get, what, do you, what do we use? We use messenger apps. Sending messages. So the messenger has a specific job, which is to deliver a message to have a desired impact. And we look at that and we go, okay, so why does Joshua specifically send messengers to go dig up some treasure? Why not some soldiers? Why not a couple of random dudes that happen to have soldiers or a shovel stand off on the side? Hey, fellas, go grab, dig, go dig up that stuff. But no, he specifically calls messengers. And then we look at messengers in Scripture. Okay, let's consider the messengers that Joshua sent ahead into Jericho. Those two men, they went with a specific job, a duty to deliver a message. This may be the same two men, we don't know. But then we think about other messengers in Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, we see so many different examples of kings sending messengers back and forth between different kingdoms. Their job was to deliver a specific message, to have a desired effect based upon that message being delivered. And if we notice, if we go and we consider the most notable of human messengers that are listed in Scripture, if you know your Bible, it's called John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Listen to what Jesus says about his cousin in Matthew 11, verses 10 and 11. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Mark 1, verses 2 through 4 says this, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John had a job, which was to deliver a message. And what was his message? Verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance. Repentance for the remission of sins. What was John's job? It was to deliver a message that would expose sin. It would open people's eyes to their sin. 
reveal to people their need of a Savior. That's what John's job was, to prepare ye the way of the Lord, right? He says, there cometh the Lamb of God that cometh to take away the sins of the world. My job is to prepare the way that you understand the need of that man, that risen Savior, to call men to turn from their sin and repentance. Take note that the people that they're calling, the people that John's going to reach, they're not accountable to John. John's job is to bring them before, before Jesus. Notice these messengers' job is to bring it all before Joshua, a picture of Christ. And in doing so, what happens? Their job is to go and to find those things, those sinful things, those hidden things, those, those forbidden things that are literally under the surface. They're to bring them out so that they can be dealt with. And I want to take this and relate it to another messenger that the Bible talks about. Us. Us. God's entrusted us. Do you realize that as followers of Christ, we've been trusted with a message? A message that we're to deliver? A message of repentance, by the way. And what's happened here? God wants to bring about a desired effect that we would reach the world, that men would realize their lost condition and understand their need of Him. As we deliver the law, as we deliver His Word, what does it do? It exposes sin. Consider Romans verse 3, verses 19, chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Know ye know, it says, now ye, now, goodness gracious, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, listen, and all the world may become guilty before God, that their sin would be exposed, they would suddenly become guilty because they see their sin. Verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. So God gives the word so that guess what it does? It shows us that we're sinful. It shows us that we need a savior. The very message, the word of God is exposing the sin of humanity so that men will admit their lost condition and that they will realize they need to come to him. And so understand, it's the gospel message. It's our message. It's our ministry. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us, given to us, the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us a ministry, a message to deliver. And recognize this, we cannot reconcile people unto God unless they're willing to see and understand their sin. Listen, if you believe you're saved today, but there's never been a point in time in your life where you've ever realized your lost condition, you've never understood the fact that you saw your sin the way God sees it, you've never repented of your sin, you went through a ceremony, you said a prayer, but you did not mean and understand your lost condition. Understand, if you don't know you're lost, you can't be saved. There are people out there today who are religiously living for Christ, but they've never given their hearts to Him. Listen, there's not much to it. It's a simple concept. But recognize the fact that exposing sin is absolutely key. Absolutely, absolutely key. And these men are described as messengers. Is it possible the reason why God describes them as messengers is because they are picturing the very role that we're supposed to fulfill? That God's trying to expose sin in this world? Seems logical to me. Can I prove that that's absolutely what it is? No. But you know what? The evidence kind of points to that, doesn't it? All about exposing sin, revealing the need of a Savior. And I know that may be a little bit crazy, but that's just kind of what, what I think it says. But recognize, God uses the term messenger specifically for a reason. God doesn't pick words haphazardly or randomly. He chooses them because they have a specific need and a specific thing for us to understand. Next, 
Aiken, are you guys with me? Yes. It seems like you're all checked out, but I hope you're with me. Maybe you're just really concentrating. That's probably what it is. But if you're concentrating like this, that's not good. <laughs> Don't concentrate like that. Keep your eyes open. Number two, how they'll expose it, okay? How they'll expose it. Check this out. And they ran unto the tent. Hmm, okay. So they didn't walk. They didn't saunter. They didn't, didn't meander. I, don't, I read those words. I looked up those words. I'm like, I don't know how you saunter. I don't know how. I'm like... Whatever. I don't know what it is. It's a form of walking, I'm assuming, but it's not running. I know that much. So we just imagine if you know what sauntering and, and, and meandering are, put those in your brain. But they're not running, right? This, these guys, they ran. They ran. It says that they ran to the tent. There is a sense of urgency with the way they respond. They've been given a task, and guess what? They prioritize it. They listen to what their Joshua tells them to do, and boy, they, they respond. Picture the scene. Picture Achan standing in a clearing. Standing before Joshua with tens of hundreds of thousands of Israelites standing around watching this scene. And Joshua says, go to the tent. And these guys, they're not like, yeah, all right. We're going, we're going. Golly, sorry, I did that again. No, they peel out and take off running. What does that say? about what they've been told. What does it say about what they think of Joshua? Let me tell you what it signals. It tells, first of all, that they respect Joshua. It signals to everyone else out there that guess what? The orders, they take them seriously. It also shows that the commitment, their commitment and their level of commitment to the task that they've been assigned. We go, man, okay, those guys are serious. But see, this begs the question that we have to ask ourselves, right? Which is this. When our Joshua gives us commands, how do we respond? How do we respond? Okay? Now let's just take a couple of his commands and let's run them through our minds and think about how we respond, okay? Love your enemies. Man, I can't wait to run off and love my enemies. <laughs> right? How about pray? Pray for your enemies. Man, first thing I do when I bow my head, man, I, I can't wait to pray for that guy that I hate. Right? These things are hard. These are commands of God. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not upon the earth. But I'm so worried about my earthly cares in this world that I even forget sometimes to lay up treasures in heaven. Judge not. Whew. We turn on anything on TV, watch anything, be around people in a crowd. Boy, you will be, if you're not careful, you slip into judgment in an instant. We think we're better than people we're not. Husbands, love your wives, right? This is an unconditional love. It's not earned. They don't have to deserve it. They get it because they're your wife. It's your job. It's your command from God. But then listen, huh? Wives, reverence your husbands. Yeah, oh man. Goes both ways, right? So understand, God's saying, listen, these are commands. It's unconditional reverence. They don't have to earn it. They get it because of who they are in Christ. God has a purpose and a plan for the family. And if we don't do it God's way, we will see destruction. These commands, man, they're hard to do. But we see an example. You know what? They ran. They ran. How about forgiveness? Yikes. I guarantee you there's unforgiveness in this room today. That might be 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. And it's turned into bitterness. Love thy neighbor. Man, give people the benefit of the doubt. Somebody cuts you off in traffic instead of wanting to drive them into the woods. 
What if you went, you know what? Maybe they just found out their child's in the hospital. They're trying desperately to get there, and they're in a moment where, you know what? I mean, maybe they might be a knucklehead. Nah. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's love thy neighbor. How about this one? Children, obey your parents in all things. Ouch. Sorry, kids. But it is what it is. Parents, provoke not your children to wrath. Cautiously work and live this life for, care, for, for the glory of God. Make the choice that you do for God's glory. Be a cheerful giver. Oh, sometimes that's hard. And that's not just talking about resources. That's talking about our life. Amen. Right? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. There are people that are not here today. Not because something came up that there's no way they could be in church, but because they made a conscious choice to go, you know what? Eh, I don't really feel like it today. The weather's really nice. Did you see? It's gorgeous. Honey, what do you say we go to the lake? Let's go to the park. We can watch it online later. I, said that, I don't know if I said this to you guys before, but I've said it in conversation. Online church is the most selfish form of church that exists because it is only self-fulfilling. You in no way contribute. You in no way bring your heart, your, your life, your interaction with other people, which is, gosh, guess what? God designed the church to work together as a body. We all fulfill our roles. Now, if, if it's a necessity and you've got to be online, praise the Lord. Hey, for you guys that are stuck there, man, I'm sorry. I love you. I'm not knocking you. But if there's a way for you to be here, you should be. Listen, find a way. Because remember, it's a command of God. We hear all these commandments. The question is, do we run to do them? I don't know. You have to discern that for yourself. But maybe sometimes we do, maybe sometimes we don't. Many times, unfortunately, I think we maybe walk or saunter or meander to follow and do God's will. But in any any case, there are Christians today that are looking at our lives. There are people that are looking at our lives. Our neighbors, our co-workers, our spouses, and our children. The way that we respond to the commands of God, what message are we sending to them? What are they learning as they see that we respond? Because recognize, it's not the fact of how they respond, or not, not that they respond, it's how they respond that's really important. Because if we're not responding the right way, you know what it shows us? It says we don't respect our Joshua. It means that we don't take his orders seriously, and then we're not committed to the task that's been assigned to us. That's what we're voicing in our actions, maybe not in our words, but in our actions. And what happens? Consider this. When a need goes out, the church says, hey, you know what? We got something going on, and we need people to come and volunteer. We need you to show up. Some people go, man, I'll be there. Count on me. I'll be running. There are other people that will go, you know what? Why is it we can't? I know there's a reason we can't. I'm just going to, give me a few minutes. I'll come up with honey. Yeah, I got it. Uh, Yeah, I know there's a reason why we won't be there. We think about the reasons why it shouldn't be us. Instead of thinking, you know what? There's a need. I'm going to fill it. It's all about our priorities. Remember, it's not about responding. It's how we respond. This now, as Paul talks about giving of resources, listen to this. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Every man, according as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Someone who gives with the right heart, the right attitude, right? Giving of someone's resources. Listen, that's the greatest indicator of someone's heart. Look at someone's giving, you'll figure out where their heart is. Go look in their checkbook. Where is the majority of their money spent? That's where their heart is. 
That's it. So we look at it and go, look, you know what? Someone's not a cheerful giver. They may give. And again, it's not just doing it. I pay my tithe. Yes, I do. Don't even ask me about that. But a cheerful giver says, man, I can't wait to give. Praise God, I get to give. Because you know what? What the Lord told us in Luke 12, 34? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says, listen, if I've got your heart, I got your treasure. You're going to give of yourself because you know what? You love me. And you know what a cheerful giver does? They run to pay their tithe. You know what a cheerful giver does? Man, they have the excitement to say, you know what? I want to be a part of what God's doing. I want to be a a part of of, of contributing to what God's doing in this place. You know, before they pay any bill, they go, you know what? Hey, of every dollar that I get, the first dime is God's. I'm going to peel that dime off and set it aside, and I can't wait to give that one because that's His. God's given me 90% to work with. How generous is that? He gave me everything in the first place, and all He asked back is 10%. Man, let me at least do that. But again, are we running to do so? And I thought about this, and it's so appropriate that Granny's here today. Because I thought about the way my kids, my kids, her grandchildren, the way they respond when she has a need. Whatever it is. If she asks, they don't, oh, granny again. No. You know what you see? What is it, mom? You need that? Okay, mama, I'll get her. I'll be right back. They run. You know why? They love and respect her. That should be the way we respond to the Lord. That should be our heart. When God calls us to do something, we should respond that way instead of thinking about ourselves. We always switch to us because we're selfish by nature. Hidden sin. Sin exposed. Let's check our hearts and see where it is we're coming from. Number three, where they'll find it. Verse 22. And behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. Now, not only did Achan choose to hide it in his own home, and endangering his family, but check this out. He made them complicit to his crime. They saw. He dug it right in the center of the tent. There ain't no way they didn't see it. So we know here's the fact that now we, we see this and we go, we know that Achan, what he's done, they know what he's done. So when the aspect of sanctification, that no went out, that call went out, that you've got a day to get right, they know what's in their tent. They know. And they stay silent too. Their loyalty to their father or to their husband is greater than their loyalty to God. God will hold them accountability for their rebellion. People go, how in the world could God kill his family? They're innocent children. No, they're not. No, they're not. They had a chance to stamp up and say something and they did not. You know how I know that? Because God is a God of justice. He punishes only those that are worthy of punishment. So if they're to be destroyed, that means they're complicit. They're in on this deal. And what we find is the fact they knew that they were in danger. Notice Joshua 7, 13 through 15. Up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee. O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. You're in danger. All of you are in danger. There's something there. In the morning, therefore ye shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households. And the households which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. He says, I'm going to expose the sin. I'm going to show who it is. All of you, Achan, your father, Achan, your husband, it's in the tent. God, tomorrow I'm going to show who it is. I'm going to reveal it's Achan. I'm warning you tonight, get right. Get right. 
And it shall be, he even tells them what's going to happen. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that he hath. Everything. His tent, his belongings, his family, everything will be destroyed. Why? Because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So they heard what God said. Yet they chose to defy it anyway. Achan chose to bring sin into his home and endanger all of them. All because of his selfish choice, his entire family, his entire household will be suffer and suffer destruction. How many parents, how many parents selfishly choose to bring sin into their home? This is, this is hard to hear. Convincing themselves that it won't hurt anybody. Convincing themselves it's going to be okay. Instead of protecting their families from destruction and danger, they consciously endanger all of them. Guys, this is what Achan did. And we're so easily critical of Achan. Oh, can you believe that guy? How ridiculous. He heard what God said, and yet he didn't do anything about it. He endangered all of them. Can I tell you this? How could he risk his family? Guess what? Prior to the internet, I talked about this same destructive thing last week, pornography. Prior to the internet, you know how pornography came into almost every young man's home? By way of a magazine that their father decided to bring into their home and hide in the house that a child would never find it. No one would ever see it. It's, oh, it's my little secret. No one's going to know. It's just for me. No. And what did it do to all those young men? It distorted their view of women. It took them from God's creation that was to be loved and reverenced and honored and protected and turned them into a, an object for personal gratification and to destroy the very image that God created through a stupid magazine because one selfish man said, you know what? It'll be fine. I'll just hide it in my home. Danger. Destruction. That's just one sin. Guys, there's tons of others. How about these? How about unforgiveness? How about unforgiveness that our children witness and see? What about faithlessness? Oh, you know what? I want to trust God, but I'm, I'm really struggling. What about apathy? What about apathy? We just don't seem to care. What about deceit? It's just a little white lie. What's the big deal? What about wrath? Spitting mad at somebody. What about jealousy? Why do they have to have that and we don't? What about greed? Just a little bit more. That's just a couple. But consider the result and the destruction that feeds into the family. Consider it. It goes through all of them. And then their kids grow up wanting nothing to do with God. They graduate high school, and guess what they also do? They graduate from God. And you know what they all tend to say about the same thing? You know what I saw in my family? Hypocrisy. We learned one thing. They talked about one thing. But they lived another. And we go, but my kids are little. They don't even understand. They don't see what's been going on. They're not picking up on it. But can I tell you? They're learning. They're learning. They're learning every day. And then when those behaviors start to show up in their lives, we're like, what? Shocked. Where did this come from? 
That's not the way we raised you, isn't it? Galatians 6, 7, and 8, we've talked about it before. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This analogy of sowing and reaping is actually pictured right in Achan. Listen, where do you plant a seed? In the earth. Did you notice where Achan planted his seed? His sin. Not under a pillow. Not stuck in a corner. Not in a plant. Nope. He buried it. He told us last week, Joshua 7, 21. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent. I planted sin right in the heart of my family. Amazing. And what happens? It will reap a harvest of destruction by fire for every single one of them. What we sow, we shall reap. How many parents, through their selfish, sinful choices, have set their families on a path to destruction? It's countless. It's rampant in our culture. I know this stuff's hard. I'm not trying to beat you guys up, man. I'm, I'm preaching. If, it, if I, I could preach this in this room empty by myself, and we would be all set. You don't guys don't need to be here. But I'm just telling you, God's preaching to me too. This is so important. It's so important. And then we see the silver buried underneath. And I, this is kind of a little side note, because I, I told you all on Wednesday night I have a question I don't know the answer to, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do my best to answer it. This is the one. The silver, it says, it keeps saying the silver under it. So he has the Babylonish garment, and he has the gold and the silver under it. And he says it twice. God never says things twice unless he's trying to say, hey, listen, I'm trying to turn up the volume a little bit. I want you to pay attention. This is important. And I don't have all the knowledge in the world, and I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do my best to figure it out. So what this is the best I could do? I'm going to throw it out here. And you guys, it might be right, it might be wrong. I don't know. But Babylon, okay, this is a Babylonish garment. Babylon is the birthplace of false religion. Tower of Babel, okay? This is the birthplace of false religion. The Babylonish garment is side by side with gold. Gold is a picture of deity. We know this from our Old Testament studies in the, in the tabernacle, right? Gold is pictures deity. What does silver represent? Silver represents redemption. So here's redemption. Redemption, the one true God, the Redeemer, pictured in silver. We've got gold in a Babylonish garment, which looks like a false god. And what it looks like is Achan prefers the false god over the real god. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you all buy that, we'll just take it as truth. But I, don't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't tell you I really, really know the answers. That's my best guess. I'm just throwing it out there because every word of God is pure and every word of God has a purpose. So I was like, I can't skip over that. I need to stop. And you know what? I looked at, I don't know how many different commentaries I looked at. No one has ever made a comment about it. But I was like, you know what? We may as well do the best we can. I might have just completely missed that shot, but we'll just, we'll find out when we get to heaven. Let's do it that way. Um, or when you, when you guys get way more studied than I will, come back and tell me the right answer. Number four. Sorry, number four. So I feel like, uh, what was it, like Shrek? Three, my lord, three! <laughs> um, okay, if you haven't seen Shrek, I'm sorry, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, verse number 23. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And so here in bringing the hidden sin to light, what we see is it's going to be exposed for the world to see. Now, because the only way to deal with sin, understand, the only way to truly deal with sin once and for all is by... Certainly bringing it before the people that are hurt by it, right? The people that were hurt by his sin, Joshua, the Israelites, okay? So it's exposed to them, but ultimately we notice that it is ultimately when it's brought before 
the Lord. That's what it says in this scripture. In the New Testament, we see an example or a biblical picture of this where Paul is rebuking the church of Corinth. We talked about last week what was going on in Corinth. It was a mess. Sinful, shameful things that allowed themselves to work their way and pollute the congregation. And what we see here is Paul is literally telling them how it is they are to deal with this hidden sin, how they're to to bring it out of the midst, and how they're to get right with God. And what he'll do is he'll not only forgive them, but he's going to give them back a right relationship with him. Okay, so if we're struggling with sin, we've got issues, let's have ears to hear this. Okay, this is important. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. It says, be not ye, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord? Concord means a relationship. What relationship hath Christ with Belial, the devil? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. Okay, so he's saying, listen, this is what I intend for you. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is his desire. Wherefore, this is what I want for you. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He says, listen, I want intimacy with you. I want intimacy with you. I want to live this life walking with you. I want to bear your burdens with you. I want you to communicate with me. Pour your heart out to me. Feel my presence in your life. Experience my peace. Now, notice this. He'll continue in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Having therefore these promises, what he just promised, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. How do we do it? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. That means we're seeking righteousness. We're trying to live a life that represents Christ. We deal with our hidden sin. We bring it all to the surface and we expose it so we can be right with Him and have a right relationship. Sin must be exposed if we're able to walk with God, to experience His peace, right? To experience unity with Him. This is why God created us. Recognize from the very beginning, this is why humanity was created, to walk in fellowship with God, to picture us here. And what happens? What's being pictured for us in this entire study is the fact that guess what they're trying to do? They're trying to get to the promised land. They're there, and they're trying to possess it. They're trying to make it theirs. But there's one thing in the way. It's not the armies. It's not the pagans. It's them. It's them. See, God is picturing for us our spiritual promised land. We're right on the verge of experiencing this great glorious, wonderful, peaceful, loving fellowship with God. We're right there, but we're not there yet. Notice what God says, and Paul's going to explain to us what our spiritual promised land should look like. Verse, uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Man, we're communicating with Him. God knows my heart. He knows what I'm going through. He's bearing my burdens. He's loving me. We're in communion with the Father. Verse 7. And the peace of God. We're there, man. We're in our promised land. Man, we got all this junk out of the way, and here we are. The peace of God which passes all understanding. No one in the world can understand it. No one who's not there can understand it. No one can see or feel what this land flowing with milk and honey spiritually is. And listen, it shall keep your hearts and minds. Man, it keeps your heart and your mind. It separates us from this world through Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. This is your promised 
land. This is what I created you for. It's all about us having this beautiful fellowship together. This is what God intends for every single solitary person. He's not a respecter of individuals. He doesn't pick and choose who gets it. We don't get here through atonement. Guess what? The Lord already atoned for our sins on the cross. There are no penance that you need to pay. There are no spiritual or religious works that you need to do. No. All we need to do is simply be honest with the Lord. Stop hiding the things that He already knows about. It isn't like God doesn't know. He does. God sees straight through us and everything that we've been hiding, no matter how far down we dig, we dig, we dig and deep it. How deeply we dig to stick it, wherever it is, I don't know what I'm trying to say. No matter how far down you put it, guess what? He knows it's there. And the very thing that's keeping them out of their promised land is the hidden sin that needs to be exposed. And it is exactly the very same thing that is keeping us out of our spiritual promised land. It is sin, big or small, whatever it is. And listen, if we're experiencing, if we're ever going to experience the life of victory that God intends for us, right? That peace of God that passes all understanding, our promised land, then we've got to be willing to face those things in our life that we have hidden away, whatever they may be. If it's bitterness, lust, covetousness, wrath, apathy, laziness, selfishness, whatever it is. Whatever it is. God created us to be this, this, this uh, picture of Him. And if there's things you look in yourself and you go, I hate this about me, I hate this about me, then change it. Get right with God. Bring your stuff, bring this stuff before the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? Change me. Help me walk in the light of Christ. Help this life not be about me and what it is that I want. Help it to be what you want for me. Listen, with Joshua, we see this amazing picture. Amazing picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? This Joshua is waiting for hidden sin to be exposed. And our Joshua is doing the exact same thing. He's waiting for sin to be exposed. You know what? The question is this. Will we allow the message of the Word of God, what God's given us, to root out hidden sin? Will we allow it to deal with these things, the hidden sin that's not only in our lives, but in our homes? If we will, and we bring them before the Lord, we can be set free. We are in a prison of our own creation because of our own choices. God is ready, willing, and able to set us free. The question is, will we let him? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Thank you, Lord, for hard stuff. God, many things difficult to hear for all of us. And, uh, but, Lord, imperative that we have ears to hear. Help us, Lord, to, to deal with our own hearts, to look within ourselves and see what it is that needs to be brought to the surface. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit that's dealing with hearts even now as we speak. Thank you, Lord, for directing us. And God, I pray that you'll use uh, what we've heard today, not to just change us today while we're here in the service, but Lord, and change us for our life going forward. Help godly sorrow to be what draws us to you. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, Preacher, today stunk for me. It stunk. I got some stuff in my life that I need to deal with, and I know it. Pray for me that I'll have the boldness to do it. Pray for me. Amen. I see that hand. Anybody else? Say, look, that's me. Amen. 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 Hands all over. 
None of us are perfect. This is a work in progress, every one of us. And God can get us through. He can develop and build us through our adversity. And guess what? Failure is a wonderful teacher. So if you're at a broken point right now in your life, man, let him restore you. And with our head still bowed and eyes still closed, if, if you're here today, you're online, wherever you are, watching this recorded, and you say, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe I've lived a religious life. Maybe I, I believed I was saved. But I know in my heart that I'm not. And as God calls out to you today, understand, He's done all the work and He loves you right where you are. You're going to judge yourself to not be worthy. And He says, I love you. I love you. I love you right where you are. And I want to receive you and make you my child today. If that's you today, and if He's calling out to you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Him. Not religiously, not through some kind of silly ceremony or some magic prayer. This is a heart reaching out to a heart. God's heart is reaching out to you, and all you have to do is respond to receive the gift that He offers. So with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you're here today, you're online, we're watching and recorded. There's nothing here except for your heart connecting with His. And as He calls out to you, all you need to do is respond. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Dear Lord, I'm, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I'm sorry. I believe that you love me, that you died on the cross for me, that you paid the debt that I cannot pay, that you were put in a borrowed tomb and you resurrected on the third day and proved you were God. God, I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins. Set me free from my past and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.